Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. A true lover is proved such by his pain of heart. No sickness is there like sickness of heart. The lover's ailment is different from all ailments. Love is the astrolabe of God's mysteries. A lover may hanker after this love or that love, but at the last he is drawn to the king of love. However much we describe and explain love, when we fall in love we are ashamed of our words. Explanation by the tongue makes most things clear, but love unexplained is clearer. When pen hasted to write, on reaching the subject of love, it split in twain. When the discourse touched on the matter of love, pen was broken and paper torn. In explaining it, reason sticks fast as a mule in mire. Not but love itself can explain love in lovers. None but the sun can display the sun. If you would see it displayed, turn not away from it. Shadows, indeed, may indicate the sun's presence but only the sun displays the light of life. Shadows induce slumber, like evening talks, but when the sun arises, the moon is split asunder. In the world there is not so wondrous as the sun, but the sun of the soul sets not, and has no yesterday. Though the material sun is unique and single, we can conceive similar suns like to it, but the sun of the soul, beyond this firmament, no like thereof is seen in concrete or abstract. Where is there room in conception for God's essence, so that similitudes of God should be conceivable? The foregoing excerpt was from the Mathnawi of Maulana Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi, translated and abridged by E. H. Winfield. This week's short story is entitled, Focus. There was a man who wished to become a mystic. He had wanted to do this as long as he could remember. For many years he had conducted research and actively searched a variety of localities in order to find a spiritual guide. Finally, all his efforts were rewarded when almost miraculously events unfolded in such a way that he came to know about a spiritual guide who recently had moved into the area to which the seeker himself had just migrated. When he learned of the fortuitous turn of events, he became very excited. 
Immediately he began making plans to travel to the spiritual teacher's hometown. He waited for the right set of circumstances to arise, circumstances that included having a number of free days strung together so he would have time to make the necessary journey, establish contact with the teacher, and hopefully spend a few days learning from that person before returning home. Soon he saw his opportunity take shape, and as a result he activated his plan. The physical portion of the trip was uneventful. He arrived in the small town, booked a place to stay, deposited his bags in the room, and got a bite of food at a nearby restaurant. Afterwards, he made a few inquiries about the teacher and discovered that the gentleman spent an hour or so in the town square just about the same time every afternoon. People described the spiritual guide as being very friendly and approachable. The seeker decided to start visiting the square the very next day. Perhaps with a little luck, he would be able to meet the teacher in fairly short order. The afternoon of the following day slowly rolled around. The visitor went to the square, which was just a short walk from the hotel where he was staying, and began looking for the spiritual guide. By carefully observing what went on in the square, he was able to identify the person he had traveled to see. When the latter individual was alone for a moment, the seeker made his move and went over to the bench where the teacher was seated. He introduced himself, and just as he had been informed on the previous day, the man was both very friendly and quite approachable. A discussion ensued which, after a few twists and turns, the seeker was able to steer to the topic of mysticism. The two had an animated discussion on the subject for a short while. In fact, the discussion went so well that the seeker had the courage to say, I would like to step onto the mystical path. I understand there is an initiation process surrounding entry into mysticism, and I am wondering if you would initiate me. The teacher remained friendly but said, No, I'm, I'm sorry. This is not possible. As soon as he had said this, he began talking about issues other than mysticism. The seeker tried several times to move the discussion back to matters of spirituality. Although the spiritual guide remained very affable, nevertheless, on each occasion the teacher was able to deftly deflect the seeker's attempts to return the topic of the mystical path in another non-mystical direction. Finally, the teacher looked at his watch, apologized for having to leave, and proceeded to rise. He warmly shook the seeker's hand and then he walked off, wishing the seeker well as he did so. The man remained on the bench, watching the teacher disappear around the street corner leading away from the square. He was puzzled. Things had not gone at all the way he had envisioned. Consequently, he began to replay the whole discussion in his mind's eye, trying to figure out where the problem might lie. After giving the matter much thought while sitting on the bench, walking around town, eating supper, and lying down on his bed in the hotel, he had not been able to come up with anything that had happened during the discussion, which might account for why his overture to obtain initiation had been rebuffed. 
The man, however, did develop a few hypotheses concerning the situation. He would test these possibilities the next day. The night and morning came and went. Afternoon had begun. The seeker went to the town square and saw the teacher sitting on the same bench as the previous day. After a few people stopped and talked with the guide, a time came when the teacher was sitting by himself. The seeker again approached the teacher and asked the latter if it was okay for him to sit and talk. The teacher's face lightened up and he invited the visitor to sit down. The teacher was polite, entertaining, and friendly, giving absolutely no indication of there being any ill will present towards the seeker. The two engaged in an amiable discussion of sports, politics, and a few other topics. During the discussion, the seeker worked certain ideas into their exchange in order to test his theories of what might be the problem. When none of his hypotheses proved tenable, he decided to once again broach the subject of initiation. He asked to be initiated into the mystical way. The teacher responded in precisely the same way as on the day they first met. No, I, I, I'm sorry, this is not possible. And like yesterday, he continued to talk in a warm, friendly manner about subjects until the time for his departure arrived. This time the guide walked away in a different direction, but the seeker was left in the same predicament. What was going on? Why wasn't it possible for the initiation to take place? Not only was the seeker disappointed, but as well, he was a little annoyed and angry with the events of the past two days. Tomorrow, he decided, if the chance arose, he would confront the teacher in a direct fashion and try to discover why the requests for initiation seemed to be falling on deaf ears. He spent a restless night tossing and turning. The clocks seemed to be involved in a conspiracy for they moved in a way that suggested they were resisting bringing the afternoon on in a timely fashion. The afternoon, however, did finally take place. The seeker went to the square, found the teacher sitting alone, and quickly approached the bench. The teacher looked up, saw the man approach, and smiled in a very inviting and charming manner. The seeker asked if it was okay to sit with the teacher for a little while, and the teacher warmly assented to the request. Choosing to avoid dancing about with small talk, the seeker said, I don't wish to be offensive or rude, but several times over the last two days I have asked you to initiate me into the mystical way, and on each occasion you have said no. Why? The teacher briefly gazed at the man and then turned his head away, surveying the rest of the square as he did. Very gently he said, If you were willing to trust me to be your guide, don't you feel you might trust my judgment that at least at the present time you are not ready for the mystical path? The words were rather unexpected and had a point, a sharp one. The seeker thought about what had been said and then replied, But I have wanted to be initiated for such a long time. I'm willing to do anything to prove my sincerity. I'm just asking for a chance to show you that I really am serious about my request. The guide weighed the remarks of the man. The teacher briefly studied him, looked away, and then returned his gaze to the seeker. The mystic said, Okay, 
I'll tell you what I'm prepared to do. I'm going to give you a task, and if you complete that task, I will initiate you. The seeker first was very happy, but a certain weariness swept across his face. He asked, Is the task illegal, immoral, impossible, or beyond my capability? The teacher laughed and shook his head, indicating that the answer to all of the man's concerns was no. He added, The task actually is fairly simple and straightforward, but I don't believe you will complete it. Then tell me what I have to do, responded the seeker. I will do my best to accomplish whatever task you might assign to me. The teacher said, I want you to take off your shirt, go over to that variety store at the edge of the square, and then buy a medium-sized basket, some candy to put in the basket, a baseball cap, and various materials for making a sign to hang around your neck. When you have done all of that, I would like you to return here and compose a sign which says, If you will knock the cap from my head, I will give you a piece of candy. Upon completing the sign and using some string to suspend around your neck, I want you to walk around the square with your basket full of candy, and wherever you find people, you should stop in front of them so they can read the sign, and if they choose, do what they must to get their piece of candy. And you should do this until all the candy is gone. Moreover, from beginning to end, you cannot explain why you are doing what you are doing to anyone. After the nature of the task was outlined, the seeker protested. <laughs> I couldn't possibly do this. I mean, what would people think of me? I would become a laughingstock of the town, not just now, but for some time to come. Please, give me some other task other than this. The teacher looked at the man, his gaze fixed on the eyes of the would-be seeker. In a very loving and kind way, the guide said, You see, I told you you would not be able to do this. You're still too preoccupied with what people think of you rather than being primarily concerned with what divinity wishes from you. Today's musical interlude is called Caring.
near one of the most violent places in the universe, just outside the event horizon of a black hole that is the equivalent of six billion solar masses, in a galaxy known as M87, which is 53 million light years from Earth. You are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. The following edition of Meditative Essays is titled Adab. Adab, or spiritual etiquette, involves more than learning the rules of social convention governing certain aspects of interaction within a particular culture. In fact, there is no guarantee that what passes as politeness or civility or proper comportment on different social occasions within a given culture and during a particular historical period will satisfy the demands of adab or etiquette in the Sufi sense of the term. To begin with, spiritual etiquette entails more than just external behaviors. For example, even if one were very polite to people, observing every custom or rule recognized in one's society as appropriate to the situation at hand, one still might violate the precepts of Sufi etiquette if one harbored ill will envy, jealousy, or contempt with respect to the people one was engaging socially. For the would-be Sufi, the outward and the inward condition of the individual must be consonant and harmonious with one another. In addition, the inner and outer condition of the individual should constitute a constructive contribution to social interaction. Secondly, and in concert with the foregoing perspective, in order to observe Sufi etiquette properly, one cannot be indifferent to the people with whom one interacts. One must have a genuine regard and concern for the people with whom one deals, irrespective of whether or not one knows them, and even more importantly, independently of whether they share one's approach to life. In the realm of conventional etiquette, rules of conduct are often observed merely as a means of facilitating social transactions so that everybody knows more or less what is expected of them in any given set of circumstances. As such, conventional etiquette all too frequently is a way of treading lightly around people's feelings so that one never has to deal with them as people. Conventional etiquette is often, though not necessarily always, a way of facilitating social interactions so that we can slip past one another in the least problematic and perhaps most congenial manner. This approach is not without its merits and practical value, but it tends to fall considerably short of what the practitioners of Sufi Adab have in their minds and hearts. There is a very genuine sense in which, for a Sufi, Adab cannot be observed in the absence of love. One must have love, for God, for the servants of God, for the creation of God, and for one's own existence. Acts of etiquette which do not have some current of love running through them are empty, perfunctory, shallow, and superficial. These kind of acts may serve as a sort of glue that helps maintain to a degree social cohesiveness, but they also can become barriers to meaningful human contact by helping us to avoid human beings in any essential sense. Indeed, there may be considerable embarrassment and confusion on the part of people 
if one goes beyond the parameters of accepted norms as defined by conventional etiquette, people tend to become suspicious of any sort of friendliness, openness, sincerity, kindness, empathy, or concern which falls outside the rules of etiquette, precisely because there is no rule of conventional etiquette for dealing with these responses. Consequently, one is faced with the daunting prospect of having to deal with people as people and not as categories of rule applications from a book of social etiquette. Etiquette needs to be something more than a set of rules for navigating one's way through the minefields of social foibles. It ought to be an art form which allows one to address the essential needs of other people while doing so in exactly the manner and to the degree required by the circumstances at hand. Of course, knowing what is required in a particular set of circumstances and devising a method to address such requirements is a balanced way goes to the heart of the art of spiritual etiquette. The lessons of Adab begin at the feet of one's teacher. If one cannot learn to treat one's teacher with Adab on the basis of observing the care, love, and consideration with which one's teacher interacts with one and others within the teaching circle, then one will not be able to learn how to treat others with proper adab. Moreover, if one has no love or regard for one's teacher, one will have no motivation to withstand and persevere against the rigors and difficulties of the discipline or training which must be undergone in order to absorb the lessons and art of adab. Confronting and attempting to subdue one's hydra-like shortcomings in the observance and practice of spiritual etiquette is very demanding and frustrating work. However, knowing that one's teacher had to go through exactly the same sort of process and is now transmitting to one the fruits of such training gives hope the journey is not an impossible one. Indeed, the love and help one's teacher currently is extending is but a reflection and continuation of the love and help one's teacher received from his or her teacher in the past. The teacher-devotee relationship is itself a manifestation of the love and compassion which God has for the individual as expressed through the dynamics of the teacher-learner context. This tradition of love is the only medium of transmission through which the art of spiritual etiquette can be received and absorbed. By watching the loving, patient, forbearing, compassionate, sincere, and truthful manner in which the teacher interacts with all people, both within as well as outside the teaching circle, one develops a taste for or sense of the principles underlying the expression of proper adab. By realizing, little by little, the differences of intent, breadth, depth, richness, and subtlety between the adab of the teacher and one's own efforts in these respects, one's own approach to the realm of etiquette begins to become transformed. With God's help, one begins to internalize these lessons. With God's help, one begins to give expression to these values, qualities, and principles in one's daily activities. With God's help, one begins to extend the circle of adab to encompass not only one's teacher, but also the other members of the circle. Furthermore, with God's help, one begins implementing the requirements of adab in relation to one's family, 
one's community, one's country, the world, nature, and the entire universe. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Thank you.